Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Enlightened Empaths. We're going to be talking about the complexities of dating an empath. And in particular, we're going to be discussing 12 questions you should ask yourself and your partner while you are dating. Do you think it's different dating an empath, Denise? Uh, yeah, very much so. I really do. And I think sometimes like we all know we're empaths, so we know what works for us or what we would like to have work for us. But sometimes we may date another person who has empathic tendencies, but they haven't quite embrace them or they may express them in a different capacity than what we're used to doesn't make them more or less but I think these tips are incredible especially following our show on being too independent and now it's like okay how can I have more more clarity and communication and reciprocity in my relationships not only just dating but in friendships as well do you think dating an empath dating an empath is a good thing or do you think opposites attract here? Personally, I think it, it's a very individual thing. And it would yeah. be sometimes, remember when uh, we read that workshop and John Holland said, who would want to date someone like, who would, would you want to date another medium? And all these people raised their hands and he said, no, no, you don't. You need someone that's going to keep you grounded. And everybody laughed. And I think having someone who at least appreciates and respects how empathic you are and how you navigate through the relationship is vital. And many of us may not have had that experience in past relationships. Well said. Yeah. I think you make some really great points there. And I, and I do believe it's a little bit different dating an empath because I think we have maybe extra boundaries put up than most people do, or we might need more alone time than the average person does. You know, I have a really good friend who's very young. She's 29 and she really wants to get married and start a family. So she's been dating a ton and she had started dating this guy. And so we caught up like two weeks later and I said, how's it going? And, and she said, um, I think, I don't think he's interested anymore. And I said, why? And she said, well, he texted me every day, but I haven't heard from him today or yesterday. And I said, and that means he's not interested. And she said, yeah. And I said, so in the dating world today, you text or call every day. And she said, uh-huh, that's right. Doesn't that seem like a bit much to you? Well, yes. Yes. And if that's the expectation, this isn't necessarily age related. I think the rules have changed. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. And I, and I think it's an empath dating an extrovert is super good too. And like you said, has a grounding influence. So anyway, I saw this TikTok video by therapist, Jeff Gwenther, I think is how you say his last name. And he posted 12 questions that he says you should know about your partner six months into your dating relationship. So I thought it would be fun for us to discuss these questions, not only for someone you may or may not be dating or are already in a committed relationship with, but also as questions for you to ask yourselves and journal about 
how well do you know yourself as a as a true empath? So are you ready for the for the 12 questions? I am ready. Okay. What makes them laugh or cry? So you have to ask, you know, about your partner. Do you know what makes them laugh or cry? But also, do you know what makes you laugh or cry? Well, pretty much everything. So that's okay. (laughs) I think the laughing part, I'm a huge, huge fan of someone needs to get your sense of humor. Humor is a a magic elixir of uh, in relationships. I think it's so, so important if someone has, and maybe that's just my own proclivities, but I, I do think that's important. And if someone is sensitive, do they cry? Do they have a heart? Do they have feeling? I think as empaths, even if we're with someone that's very practical, grounded, linear, doesn't show a lot of emotion, you know, they're still kind. This would be a really important question to ask or, or to, to explore a little bit because you're getting to a deeper level of emotion when you delve into humor and compassion. And is the type of humor too, though, like a big, big turnoff for me is somebody who laughs at someone else's expense. Uh, Yes. Or who, who has that cruel streak or has that, I'm not talking New England sarcasm humor, because that can be funny as hell. That's not what I'm talking about. When someone uses humor at the expense of someone else. I can't even watch that on a, on a show or if I see someone being humiliated or embarrassed or, or through and it's uh, put forward as humor. Like I, the old I, America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel I, terrible for those. I people. never found that funny. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah I, I, I feel bad for the people that are it's happening to. Right. Right. And I think you can be incredibly compassionate and feeling and deeply empathic and not be a crier. I'm not, I'm not a big crier. I've had to be strong for way too long. So it it takes a lot for me to cry, but it doesn't mean I'm not feeling or deeply concerned or caring about the situation. Does that make sense? It does. But see how, and is it a private thing? Do you, do you feel more comfortable? crying by yourself or in the shower or into a pillow, but there's something to be said for someone who tears up a little bit when they're watching a show or they'll wipe a tear away when something sad, just just that they're showing emotion. And I think that that's what this question is really, really asking is the person expressing humor and kindness and love and compassion and emotion. Yeah. Oh, I'll tear up over shows and books. Gosh, I've cried over more characters. But I mean, don't you have those friends who like, you'll tell them about a news story that's sad and they'll just start crying? Yes. Yes. It's, it's almost too much, but you've had to be strong. You've had to be stoic. You've had to really hold that together for so long that it's not a trigger switch for you. No, definitely not. Okay. Number two, what are they passionate about? Yeah, I think that's really, really important. You have to have someone in your life who has passions, who has goals, who has dreams, who has hobbies. I think it's so boring, especially when you get to our age, when you meet people who just go to work and come home. Mm-hmm. That's that's not good for an empath. That's not good for anyone. And I think you need to know 
what, but I couldn't imagine dating someone for six months and not knowing what they're passionate about. Could you? No, no, because, well, we have the edge that we're intuitive. So we kind of see behind the veil anyway, but yes, because if you're spending that time and getting to know someone and it, isn't it interesting when someone may be really passionate about something that you don't understand or maybe don't agree with, but because they feel so strongly about it, it can be a very endearing quality. Can you give an example? Um, so if someone is really into, um, this is not in my, my age generation very much, but uh, really into uh, role play video games, love them. That's what they do. They love watching them. They love being involved. They talk about it. And I may not understand that, but when someone's really excited and they're laughing and they're talking and you can tell, I think when it's immediately when I first read this question, I thought of the extremes people have that they're passionate about, maybe politically or socially. And to me, that's a real turnoff when people are so adamant that they can't be open to someone else's perspective. Yes, I agree. I 100% agree with that. I think it's important to have friends and dating interests who have different religious or political beliefs than you do. And to not be able to tolerate that, I I've never understood that. So that what about passion versus rigidity? Because people can be passionate about something, but then it can become, uh, I, what flashed in my mind is uh, an old friend of mine and she was dating this person and she was very, there, there's, this is called an eating disorder now when people are so hypervigilant about never eating any kind of like they have to be such a purist with every exact thing they put into their mouth. And uh, that was her perspective years ago. And she was dating this man and, and she called me horrified, absolutely horrified. And she said, I can't do this. And I thought, oh, dear God, what did he do? And I said, what? She says, I saw him at the drive-through of McDonald's. I'm done. And I said, really? Maybe he was hungry. And she <laughs> And she said, no, I can't do it. That just, that is so repulsive to me. And she so, walked away from the yes. relationship. And he was a nice guy. He was a really nice person. But to her, that was her line in the sand. But her passion, her, but there was a rigidity to, whereas I would say, oh, well, you know, he wants to eat fast food. That's his, whatever, do what you're going to do. He's not making me eat it. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, so do, do you agree though, that sometimes oh, I do, are, I do. Yeah. I've, and I've seen that. I've seen that. And I don't like it. I don't like when people are going to turn a potential love away over something like that. Now I, I do have rigid lines. I'll draw in the sand. Like if I were dating someone, you know, years ago and they explicitly stated they didn't want children. And I knew I did. Mm -hmm. I think that's a line that needs to be drawn in the sand. Cause you don't want to make someone have kids, right? Because what kind right. of parent will they be? That's a line I would draw. Um, but their food choices? No. But that, again, that's not my, my passion. I don't know. That would be, I just think love is so abundant and rare. Do you know what I mean? Like, like love is everywhere, but, but to find that, that special person is such a gift and to say no to a potential gift like that over eating at McDonald's. Mm -mm. 
Okay, but the you, you just made a really good point with love is abundant. Everything is about love. John Lennon figured that out years and years ago. All there is is love. And but that part of as empaths to feel safe. I, I've said this to a lot of people and to myself as well, to feel safe enough to be vulnerable, to express yourself, to find someone's sense of humor, find out what makes them cry, but equally let them see that in you as well. And share with, for a lot of us that may have been in the in the closet with our juju for all these years, feeling safe enough to say, I'm really passionate about crystals or metaphysics or talking to dead people and saying, this is who I am. For years, I would say, I, I tend to be pretty sensitive or and, and if the relationship progressed, it'd be sometimes I just kind of know things, but did I ever come right out of the gate and say, oh, by the way, I'm a, a psychic medium. And now that's, that's what I tell people, but it took years and years. So it may be something you're passionate about, but you want to make sure that you're safe with the person that you're sharing your passion about. Yes, definitely, definitely feel safe enough to share that, especially my kids went through this weird stage a couple of years ago where they were watching My Strange Addiction. Have you ever watched that show? No. Oh my gosh. They have people on there. This one woman was addicted to eating a teaspoon of her husband's ashes every day. Oh, oh, oh. Another woman was addicted to eating the stuffing in her mattress. Another woman ate baby powder. It was fascinating. And so they went on this weird kick. And so sometimes I'd sit with them. And Denise, my thought was always, none of these people are single. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's a condition of that, that when you want to eat things that aren't edible, dirt or laundry detergent or something, there's something, there's there's a name for that. I'm sure there is, but I wanted to know, what number of date were you on where you revealed this? Oh, you know? like, so what'd you do today? Well, I went to work and went to the gym, did some laundry, and then I ate about a cup of my mattress. Like, when do you reveal <laughs> that? <laughs> or, or, oh, geez. Or is that, a were they hidden addictions or did people know about them? Oh, this one woman was addicted to eating Vaseline. It was not a hidden addiction. Her husband would like hide the Vaseline from her. And then she had hiding spots. Like, I think she had cut a hole in in her couch cushion. Yeah, no, it was known. Oh, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness. Wow, we diverted from list with that. Sorry, okay. No, no, no. But (laughs) it's very interesting because now I'm sure there are people that are waiting to go on their first date thinking, Oh, son of a bitch. I hope they don't have a hidden addiction. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these days you just don't know. All right. Number three, how did their family affect their growth? Mm. See, that one I think might take longer than six months because that's layers. Like you might say, oh, I people say, do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a sister. Yeah, you're close. Yeah, so you're still on that surface level. Maybe I'm overanalyzing this. But I think. No, I don't think so. Some of that, how did it affect their growth? That's deeper. That's especially if you're uh, crossing socioeconomic, culture, different parameters. 
that are, I, I spoke with a woman recently and she lives a very comfortable lifestyle in a very, um, very nice part of the country. It wasn't the way she was brought up. And so she has a foot in both worlds. And I think sometimes there are things that people may not understand about the way you were raised, or they, they might see it as a detriment, whereas actually it was a wonderful thing that helped you become who you are. So I, I think I, oh, I don't really know nice. about that one. Yeah. What do you think? My mom used to always say, watch how your boyfriend's father treats your boyfriend's mother, because that's how you'll be treated. Okay. See, my father always said, watch the way a, a man treats his mother. And that's eventually the way you'll get treated. And I should have listened. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mine worshipped his mother. Uh, I, I don't know that I felt worshipped, but so I guess sometimes those are true and sometimes not so much, but yeah. yeah, I think you can see how their family affected their growth without maybe necessarily having a therapy session on the third date, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. What makes them mad? Oh, you know what a friend told me? She said, if you ever want to know what makes a dating partner mad, go on a vacation with them and get lost. Oh, see, met, because we both brought up Catholic, I didn't get married in the Catholic church. You know, I have to go to premarital counseling before yes. they'll say, okay, you can get married in the church. And I always thought, the ultimate test would be to put people out in the woods with a tent in the dark, in the rain, with no flashlight. If they can set up the tent, they will be married forever. That's good. That's, yeah. really, that's really good. I think if you've been dating someone six months and you haven't seen what makes them mad, have you really seen them? Right? Like, shouldn't you know, like, oh, they have a little bit of road rage or um, they don't seem super happy when I'm five minutes late all the time, or I don't know, something. Okay, or so, but, but I just got a flash of, of, uh, one of my sons is so laid back, chill, check for a pulse. It takes to the point where he and his brother, if he gets upset, if the son gets upset, we immediately spring to attention. This must be big because he's upset about it. He's just that laid back. He's that easygoing. So if you haven't seen anger, but it, it, you're right. There should be some indication. Or if, if you're with this person, that's really mellow. And then a topic comes up and you, you start to see the vein throbbing in their temple, that might be a, a sign to, to pay attention. Or it could mean that your partner doesn't feel comfortable with you. True. You know, True. like one of my daughters is also super laid back and she's been dating this lovely boy for about six months. And the other week she called me and she said, mom, I'm not PMSing, but I have just been so cranky all week. I don't know what to do. And I keep snapping at my boyfriend and I can't stop it. And I said, honey, it's not a bad thing. You've got a huge course load with school. You've, you know, you're working, you've got this, this, and that. And the fact that you're snapping at him simply means you feel safe enough with him to do that. It's, I think it's a good sign. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a couple of days passed and she got the paper done and she was like, you're right. It's, it actually helped us get closer. So oh. I, I think it's a good thing when you can feel safe enough to show them, you know, not just your perfect side. Right. Right. And there was, it's so funny because what just flashed in my mind, totally it's along the same topic years and years ago, after my divorce, I dated this man, I had a dog and he came in and he shook and it was wet and it was, I had to clean up. 
And I saw that it really upset this person that the dog had come into the house and, and was a dog. <laughs> and I knew immediately right at that point, this will never work because I could see the annoyance. It wasn't anger, but annoyed with something that that's a non-negotiable for me. If you don't love animals, then it's never going to work. So yeah. I love that your daughter though gave it the space. And also you said that the time, the six months time frame, that's when you're starting to lower your guard a little bit and get to know it's it's not all rose colored glasses for so many people. What do they say? The first one to three years in a relationship is that infatuation stage. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, if someone didn't like animals, would that be a rigid line for you? Um, I have friends and I have dated people in the past who weren't animal people. So no, it wouldn't. But then someone that I was dating told me something that had happened with an animal that was a deal breaker. Got it. So so I, I think that it depends on the circumstances, but they would also have to realize, well, the chances of Denise not being with a dog or other animals in her life is slim. So if it's a deal breaker for them, that might be more of the issue. Right. No, I'm only asking because I've, I've never been with anyone who didn't have an animal or love animals. So I don't know if that would be a deal. I've never had that experience. That would be. Have, you ever, have you ever talked to someone that said, I just don't like animals. I have a yeah. couple of times. And I always, I always feel like, wow, I've gone onto another dimension with this. How can you not like animals? But no, I haven't met anyone like that. And I don't know what I would do now. My, my former husband used to always say, I, I don't like cats mm-hmm. and I love all animals. Like I'd have a pet squirrel. If I, I, I love all animals and I found a cat, like literally found, you know, a stray cat and, and took him home. And he was like, I don't like cats. And I'm like, well, Oh, oh, well, like, I didn't know what to do. I just was very stubborn. Like this cat needs a home and mm-hmm. here's where he's going to be. And within a week, that cat was like his best friend. So I just, <laughs> I feel like people who say, I don't like dogs. Or I don't like cats. I feel like they just haven't met the right one, but I've never met someone who says, I don't like all animals that, that right. would freak me out. To go back to the question of what makes them mad. That's a really important one. If it's a raw, visceral, angry reaction or if it's so extreme from your own beliefs or your own value system it's time to to step back i would i I would say yeah yeah Uh, someone who runs hot to cold that would freak me out or someone who's just angry about who's like looks for shit to be angry about don't Mm -hmm. you know people like that oh could never handle that no but i also think it could change from decade to decade right like if like if you dated me in my 20s you'd say, oh, slow drivers make her mad. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas today, that's water off a duck's back. Doesn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. What makes me mad in a relationship? Needy people. Oh, I don't like that. What you up to? What are you doing right now? Do you want to go do something now? How about now? I'm going here. Do you want to come with me? (laughs) Do you have passions other than dating me? I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I could never do with a needy person. Could you? No, no. And I think being clear from as an empath, being clear from that with that from the beginning of, I mean, if if you're a very private person and you say, 
I'm very private or I'm very independent or I'm very, or I need this time to myself or I need to take things slow to get to know someone. If someone doesn't respect that or honor that, please, please, please pay attention because you're just being honest about who you are. Right, right. I have a friend who has a very good friend who never shows up anywhere without her husband. Have you known people like that? Yes. Like you invite them for dinner and there's the husband. You uh-huh. invite them to go to the beach and there he is carrying the umbrella. Oh, let there be space in your togetherness as the, <laughs> as the poem goes. All right. Number five, do they have spiritual beliefs and how do they affect their life choices? That's an important it, it, one. It is an important one. And it doesn't, you, you said this a minute ago, it doesn't have to be the same beliefs, but I mean, I, I think it all goes to the same place, what, whatever you're practicing, but kindness, compassionate. If someone is really rigid of, I need someone in my religious belief, I'm, I'm a Catholic, I need to be with a Catholic, or I'm a, a Buddhist, or I'm a, a whatever it might be. If that's really important to you, that's fine. But if it isn't, that's fine too. What about an atheist? Could you date an atheist? Um, I've dated an agnostic. My ex-husband's an agnostic. I could do, I could date an, an agnostic. That wouldn't bother me. Cause to me, agnostic just means you don't know. And who doesn't, right. you know, that wouldn't bother me. But, in, but someone who said, you know, there's nothing. We're just nutrient soup people here on this planet. We, and there's nothing after we die. I, I don't think they'd want to hang out with me anyway. True. I they really would, don't. They would probably make that decision for us, right? (laughs) (laughs) That goes back to last week's show about attracting codependents and narcissists. And anyway, yes. Have you ever thought about how your spiritual beliefs affect your life choices? Because I think that's an interesting addendum to that question. Yes. And I think for all of us who are stepping deeper and deeper and deeper into this world of being intuitives, being mediums, being psychic, being connected with earth energy, all of that stuff is getting so much stronger for all of us. I think it becomes, and we've always said this, it becomes who we are, not what we do. And I think someone would need to at least appreciate that, even if they don't fully understand it. Well said. All right. Number six, what are their defining moments? See, do you think you can get that in six months? I don't know. I'm thinking about that. I think I could get their, um, like, if you had to write their life story, the book flap, I could get those defining moments, right? Like graduated here, first job here, uh, celebrated this victory or success there, dealt with this huge challenge there. But in terms of some of those defining moments that reveal such vulnerability for us, I don't know that we could get that in six months. It depends on the person. Yes, it really does. And it depends on, do you feel safe enough to trust them or do they feel safe enough to trust you? Or it's something that's so buried. So someone that may be, I'm just going to make this up, hypervigilant about a certain aspect of their life. And you think, oh, that's because they went, they were in the military or they did this or they did that. And you think you know the answer, but the reality is something that's much, much deeper and older and hidden. So maybe there's layers to this question. 
Yeah, I think so. Cause there, there might, there are some people that I've known for a long time, not intimately just friends, but I'll, I'll look at them and I'll think, I don't know that I'll ever really know you. Do you know people mm-hmm. like that who just keep yes. themselves so tightly wrapped up? And I don't mean that they're uptight. I just mean they don't reveal. Like I'm such they're an open private. book. I'm mystified by super private people. Right. I think it's good. I think it's, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just different. Right. And, but if you're, if you are an open book and you become involved with someone who is more on the private or not quite as forthcoming with sharing, that, that would be something to really work through, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. Number seven, what is most important to them? I think you'd know that after six months. Oh yeah. But what's most important to them, like for, for you and I, especially with your, we would immediately say our kids. And when my children yeah. were younger, your package deal, your, there's all those other aspects. It might be, I need to be a member of my community or I need to volunteer or for some people is so important to them is security, security and stability. And they may find that in financial resources or, or support in some way or another. So it's, it's interesting if someone is that, I, I think that can be a deal breaker for a lot of folks. If what their, their level of importance and what they feel is the primary focus doesn't align with what you might see as the the top choice in your own life. Yeah, I agree. Especially if, if it is kids, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and maybe you're dating someone who doesn't have kids and they don't get that. I think that's hard. Or if your primary importance is your work and you're dating someone who treats work, like, you know, this pays my bills and that's it. I think those differences can be hard. I think they can be overcome, but I do think they're, they're difficult. And, and for an empath who, you know, feels everything so deeply, if you're dating someone who doesn't understand that, that, that connection to spirit and spirituality is so important to them. I think that can be difficult too. Yes, I agree. Okay. Question eight, how would they define success? That's a good one. That kind of piggybacks on the last one. True. Because success isn't always, you know, your career accolades. Right. Someone I knew years ago said to be seen as a good man. And I thought, oh, my God, that's the best answer. It's subjective. Yes. But it's a good answer. It's a good answer for sure. And it was about being loyal and honest and trustworthy and all of those characteristics pretty much be under the category of being a good person. Again, good being subjective. But if someone else is very, very hell-bent on their financial picture or accumulating material items or their success is, I live at this address in this town, if that's their truth, you need to honor it and decide if that's your truth as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think that's it. Again, I don't think these are questions you necessarily ask of someone you're dating. I think there are questions that are revealed as you're dating. Do you remember that girl years ago, maybe five years ago who went viral? She'd been on the dating apps for years and was exhausted and, you know, kissing all the frogs, never finding the prince type thing. And so she created a questionnaire. (laughs) And if you wanted to date her, you had to fill out this questionnaire. Do you remember that? No. 
Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. So uh, she went viral for that. And I think some guys actually did fill out the questionnaire. Can you imagine though, you swipe left or right on someone and they're like, well, if you want to date me, please answer these 12 questions. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Many of these questions are things you're going to pick up in conversation or in observation, or you realize six, eight, 10 months into it. Oh, we're talking about that topic again. So yes. It's not sitting down with this as a checklist and saying, so what makes you laugh? (laughs) That would be a fun date. Just kidding. All right. Number nine, what kind of support do they need when they're stressed or sad? Oh, well, piggybacking on last week's show, you and I could add none. We need no support. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And this is a tricky one as empaths, we're going to potentially feel what they're feeling. So you meet someone you've been dating, you're involved with, they feel a little bit off. You realize, okay, this isn't mine. They feel like they're upset or stressed. Uh, Personally, I I think I would say, is everything okay? Are you, you know, I'm, and I, if you've built that level of relationship where someone knows you're highly sensitive and you and they're not going to be defensive if you say, well, I, I just feel like you're carrying a lot of stress right now, or I'm feeling kind of stressed out. However you would word that, but if someone is angry or they shut off or they, are there red flags around this one? This seems like the only real red flag, well, the angry question, but this, do you, do you agree that this has the potential for some red flags? Oh, for sure. Because if someone gets stressed or sad and they just shut down and and go into turtle time, you know, and retreat into their shell, that's, that's a red flag. And that's a big problem because you need to, you need to be able to voice it. I I have the right to know that. Like there were, there were times where I would just say, look, I'm in a bad mood today. It's nothing to do with you. I can't even put my finger on it. I'm just not in a good mood, but heads up, just wanted to let you know. I need my space today. And I think you need to be able to communicate that. So even if you don't need a lot of support, you still need to be able to communicate even that, you know, or how many times have you had to say to someone, I need to vent about this bad day. I don't need you to fix it. (laughs) Which circles right back for the independence in the audience to why journaling is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. (laughs) Yes. But when someone won't tell you what kind of support they need, this makes me think of the five love languages. True. You know, because some might need acts of service. Some might need words. Some might need gifts. I don't know. Um, But everyone's going to respond to that differently. And that might be something you need to communicate about. That might be something that's not revealed easily. Or you might not know. You might not know what you need because you've never had anyone who was there to provide that. Right. Exactly. What are they the most proud of about themselves? Yeah, I think that one you would know in six months and and it may be their education or their job or that they're a horse whisperer or, and I don't think it, it, when you had said earlier about the dating with, uh, you have to be in touch every single day. I think getting to know someone on a deeper level, you're going to start to realize what really 
gives them their sense of self, which could be also equated to pride, I guess. True, true. Number 11, what can instantly light them up inside? Yeah. That I think you could know by the third date, right? Because it might be just talking about their kids or their work, or it might be talking about their garden or their vacations or their trips. I, I feel like that would be pretty easily revealed. If you don't know that by six months, are you even dating? I don't know. Don't you think that's an easy one? Oh, oh, very much so. And and because that's going to be a, a building block of getting to know someone better. If you're having a conversation or you go for a hike or you're at this restaurant and they can't stop talking about the, the uh, different essences of every bite of food that they're putting in their mouth, whatever it is, you're finding what they're passionate about. And I think for most of us as empaths and just interesting people, we're going to use that to get to know someone a little bit better and build on it. And build on it. And the last one is how do they recharge their emotional batteries? This one I think is equally important for, you know, at the beginning, you said finding these things in yourself and what you just shared a moment ago about, I'm kind of off today. I need some time to myself. Having someone that will understand the way you need to take care of yourself as well as take care of the the relationship. Okay, but this is one that might take more than six months for me. And I'll just give you two examples from this week to illustrate. So my daughter and I were watching kind of a scary episode of a show we've been viewing. And I don't know, a lot of shows just don't really scare me anymore, but she turned to look at me and I had both hands over my ears and she said, mom, are you scared by that? And I said, oh no, no, I'm just doing Reiki on myself as we're watching TV. (laughs) And she just started laughing and she's like, you're so weird. And then the other day they come home from school and I'm laying flat out on the living room carpet with all my crystals on me doing my chakra cleanse. Can you imagine like after dating someone three months and your partner comes through the door? Hi, oh, you need to move that rock off you. (laughs) (laughs) But that circles back to what you're passionate about. So if they haven't realized that by now, oh, that's funny. True point. But that would be a little awkward. Or like, I love to walk through my house with my crystal singing bowl and lighten up the energy. I love to smudge my house. Like all of these things I think would be difficult for some people well or maybe someone who will respect that and learn from it or already has those practices or other practices in place that they could share with you true but you're right that's a vulnerable thing it it reminds me of when uh you know the my sons were younger and they would be so well behaved and, and polite and kind at school, in public, to other people. And then they'd be kids when they were home. And it took me a while and then I realized, well, they feel safe enough here to let it all out, to vent, to be, to release. That It, it was a steam valve. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we all have that where we feel the most we can be ourselves. That, you know, you don't care if your, your hair is done or you, you know, you, you look like you, you slept and you have the dents in your bed, whatever it might be because you're so, so, so comfortable. And I think that might be a a 13th question is how comfortable do you feel being yourself with this person? 
Mm, that's a great one. That's a really, really good one. There is that scene. Have you ever seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yes. I love that show. Do you remember when it shows her mom waking up like an hour before her husband so she can do her hair and makeup so he never sees her? Yes. Without... Oh, that really freaked me out. <laughs> there was a story about that years ago and the woman needed, she was in labor and had to put her makeup on before she'd go. She would never let anyone see her without full makeup on. Wow. Yeah. Now I do believe in a little lip gloss and blush every day, you know, but, not, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know about putting on foundation and primer and all that when you're in labor, but you know, to each his own. And, and some, with some people that's part of their personality, right? Right. I mean, that, that's my mom. I don't think she's ever left the house without a full face of makeup. That's just who she is. Right. And so and- I don't think it means she doesn't feel comfortable around any of us that she likes for us to see her with makeup on. That's just how she feels comfortable with herself. And that is generational as far as, I always call that the lipstick generation, that the women in that generation, you didn't go out of the house without at least putting on lipstick. Right. If you've fallen in love with someone who expresses themselves or feels more confident by having full makeup or a certain type of clothes or whatever it might be that's who you've fallen in love with and or if if that's who you are and someone doesn't see that they're not your person I have to tell a story when I was my first year in college we I we all lived in this dorm and back then you didn't have tvs in your dorm we had a tv room on each hall and so every Thursday night we'd pile in there to watch Thursday night tv or Whatnot. And this one girl, if she ever had to, shall I say, pass gas, I don't know, flatulate, what, what's it, flatulate? Oh, yes. Yeah. She would leave the room. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, my roommate, she was beautiful and very much a lady, but she was hilarious and she could like literally flatulate to like song lyrics and she'd have like contests about it. So this, so we've got her over here being like, you know, farting along to the commercial tune and this other one leaving the TV room to do that. And I remember the first time I was like, what's going on? And she said, well, in my family, we're not allowed to burp, hiccup, sneeze or fart in front of the family. It was a, we had to leave the table. We had to leave the room wherever we were. Yeah. Wow. I never forgot that. Oh. I never forgot that. Again, that goes back to the question of uh, how did their family affect their growth? Yeah. Can you imagine having an uptight rule like that? Like you're at home, let it all hang out, like whatever you need to do, do. <laughs> and, and it circles back to feeling safe enough in your home environment or your community or your group. So at home, you may choose to do a certain behavior that you would never do in in a group of friends. True. Very, very Um, true. But I think these questions are not only good for us as empaths to say, how am I presenting? Is someone able to, do they know these things about me? Am I being open enough to share who I really am so that there is a foundation to build a more solid relationship on? Yes. And I think when you are an empath or if you are dating an empath, it's important to understand that 
we have to honor our emotions, our gut feelings, our insights and intuitions about people. And so a lot of these answers will naturally be revealed in those first six months, right? Because we'll just intuitively feel them, pick up on them or or see them. But I also think if you're an empath dating a non-empath, you have to realize that too and realize you might have to communicate your emotions and needs more clearly. Oh, that was perfectly said. Because it doesn't mean if you're an empath that you, you, you can't be with someone who isn't empathic. But I do think kindness and compassion are what we all deserve. We all deserve to feel cherished. Yes, 100%. Well said, Denise. So we hope this has given you something to think about or maybe some fun questions you can ask your partner over dinner tonight. We wish you all a very happy Valentine's Day. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.